as you may know, I have a business degree, and in particular, a double major in accounting and finance. Let me tell you, despite this, every day, I learn so much in business, personal finance, and real estate that I did not know. Here's another one of those topics that I honestly didn't know anything about, private equity and venture capitalism. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Yuri Fulmer, someone who knows a lot about finance, business, private equity, and venture capitalism. In the last episode of Golden Girls Podcast, we learned about Yuri's incredible entrepreneurial background, the creation of his $60 million company, and most of all, the lessons, challenges, and real talk of what that was actually like. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Yuri and his very impressive background. Yuri Fulmer has been building businesses since his 20s, and it started with him buying one local franchise by working for AW. And from there, Yuri grew that single franchise into dozens, building a $60 million portfolio business before he was even 30. In 2010, Yuri founded Fulmer Capital Partners, now called Fulmer & Co., to continue doing what he does best, which is helping businesses grow. And you're going to hear more about that in this episode. Serving the local community has been an important part of Yuri's work, and we're going to talk about that as well in this episode. Yuri's community and business experience is impressive, and his contributions do not go unnoticed. He's been recognized in many places, most notably including Canada's Top 40 Under 40, the BC Community Achievement Award, the Spirit of Vancouver Award, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal, and the Order of British Columbia, which is our province's highest order, given to Yuri for his dynamic entrepreneurship and committed volunteerism. And on top of that, when he's away from the office, which it's hard to believe that it's possible, but I guess he does it, which is great. You can find Yuri, uh, or maybe not find him, enjoying the great outdoors, fishing, diving, kayaking, climbing, exploring, and canoeing. If you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to the last episode of Golden Girls Podcast. Trust me, it is a really good one. In it, Yuri shares how he ended up where he is now the founder of Fulmer & Co., a family firm that owns and invests in a collection of companies in hospitality, B2B, manufacturing, construction, digital technology, and consumer services industries. Now, this episode is all about what he does with Fulmer & Co., private equity and venture capitalism. In this episode, you're going to learn wh about what private equity is and what a private equity firm does. You're going to hear about what venture capitalism is and how it's different than private equity. We talk about angel investors and how friends and family can be one of your best places to start with funding your business. Listen in and you're going to learn how, as a business, what you can get out of working with private equity or venture capitalism. You'll hear about the trade-offs and what you have to give up in exchange for the potential opportunity to grow your company. You'll hear about how to find legitimate private equity firms and how you can do your due diligence on this. Of course, on the flip side, you're also going to learn what the due diligence process looks like as a founder and entrepreneur. And I'm going to be real here, this part definitely shocked me. You're going to want to hear this. Yuri shares his best advice for pitching as well as fundraising. We also talk about the fact that there is still a huge imbalance in the private equity world. The vast majority of funding goes to male versus female-founded companies, and there is a serious underrepresentation for people of color as well. Yuri got really honest about the role that he has to play and how he's making a difference. He painted a picture of a world where there's equality of opportunity, 
And I know you'll feel his sincerity and commitment to creating change and want to be a part of that. When I put out the question on social media to you and asked, what do you want to know about private equity and venture capitalism? The resounding answer was everything. So my friend, here's my best attempt at covering as much as possible and as close to everything as is possible in a 45-minute episode. Buckle up, my friend. Here we go. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast, where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back, Yuri. Thanks for coming for another episode of our podcast. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate you having me again. I thought I might have got fired, you know, between episode one and episode two. No, no, we're, we're keeping you around. This is, this is some good stuff. Um, so I, I just want to like give, set the stage here um, in terms of private equity, venture capitalism. I am very scientific Instagram poll that I did last night. Very scientific. Um, put it up there. And honestly, it was something I hadn't, I wasn't sure what the interest was going to be because I've never been to an event where women talk about venture capitalism or private equity. And trust me when I say I go to a lot of events, uh, with notwithstanding the last two years. And you know what? I was overwhelmed with people just saying like, either most people have never thought about it for their business, most women. Um, and like 99% of them knew nothing about it. There was one person that said, yeah, I know a little bit. And when I asked, you know, what do you want to know about it? The answer was literally everything. So, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't fire you, Yuri, because like, I have a lot of un- I have a lot of unhappy people on Instagram. Uh, but I also think there's just going to be so much value in what you have to say about this, because it's clearly a topic that there's a lot of interest in and also kind of like this giant hole uh, where we need some information. We need to know what the heck this is. So maybe you can start by just giving us some context in terms of, you know, you, you own Fulmer and co is a family office here in Vancouver. What does that mean? Like, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. Fill fill that in a little bit. For sure. And you know, anybody who does what I do struggles to explain what they do at cocktail parties, right? Like my mom's still not quite sure what I do. I don't think so. I think she tells people I'm a doctor. (laughs) That sort of makes it feel easier for her. But uh, you know, a family office is basically a family investing its own money. So, you know, for me, I'm the only member of the family that works here or who has ever worked here. Uh, some family offices are third, fourth, fifth generation. Uh, you know, some of them have billions and billions and billions of dollars and there'd be names you'd recognize. Uh, you know, the Rockefeller family, family you know, family offices yeah. out there. Um, so, you know, it's just basically a family investing its own money. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes family offices get together and, you know, invest a few families money. Uh, but that's what a family office does. Cool. So how do you decide what to invest in and who to invest in and then all those things? I'm sure that's quite the process. And when it's your own money, it's different than like a bank that's just, you know, investing Mm -hmm. our money. 
Totally. So we have a bit of an advantage. The one advantage family offices have is that the decision process tends to be quicker, right? So because we're investing our own money and we don't have a fund or a pool of money or a bunch of other investors' money, uh, we can move quickly. We can invest in things that we like. We don't have to defend those decisions to anybody else. You know, we don't have investors who are going to sue us if we make mistakes, uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, we also tend to have longer timelines, right? You know, any fund has a wind-up period. So funds have a definitive life uh, at the end of which they have to be wound up. So, you know, those funds have to make returns in a certain amount of time. Uh, and so they can run out of patience. Family offices, I mean, they can run out of patience too, but they, they tend to be a little more patient in, in uh, waiting for returns. Okay. So now I'm like here for the education portion. <laughs> like, can you tell us, you know, what is private equity? What does a private equity firm do? Because I, I mean, some of these words are sounding familiar, but it may still be a very foreign concept for a lot of people. Yeah, no, no problem at all. And I, I so the challenge as well is that everybody defines it slightly differently. So there's a lot of confusion out there. People use private equity fund, private equity firm, private equity. Um, and, and private equity is essentially an investment, usually in an established business, where uh, whether it's a fund, whether it's a firm, whether it's individuals, you know, high net worth individuals, they buy a portion of an established private company and they buy it either to continue to get the return or to help the business grow or watch the business grow and sell it at some later date uh, for a, a return. So there are funds that do that and a fund would be, you know, a, a couple of people uh, or a bank uh, or individuals who say, I'm going to go to a bunch of people and try and raise money from them. Those people are going to give me their money. And then I, in turn, I'm going to go and invest it. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it's like a, buying a mutual fund, but the mutual fund invests in private companies. Is the goal always to sell it at some point or do some, do people sometimes just hold it and own it to like more of like a, the thing that I think of is like a dividend stock that you hold to just get the money. Uh, so it's not, some do, but almost every fund. So funds have a wind up date, right? So they're usually in, in US and Canada, they're usually 10 years. They can extend for up to two years. So they're 10 to 12 years and then they have to be wound up. So as a result of that, that basically they have to buy companies and then resell them at a higher valuation. And they may make some money out of the business during that time as well. Uh, but really it's about buying and selling at a higher valuation. Yeah. Buying, adding value or imagining that the value is going to go up and then reselling. Yeah. So whether they buy two or three businesses, put them together, create a bigger business and resell it, all sorts of strategies for doing that, you know, hire a different team, inject more capital into it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, Private equity, by definition, is established business. Um, private equity can use debt as well. So they may put some of their money in and borrow some money um, and borrow it from a, you know, a bank like you or I would. Um, but it's established business with a proven bottom line. So how does that differ to venture capitalism? There's some similarities, some differences. Uh, I Googled a couple articles. <laughs> yeah, so venture capital tends to be earlier stage companies. Okay. Uh, so same principle though, uh, people are, and, you know, and a venture capitalist can be an individual, it can be a fund, it can be a, you know, a group of people together, it can be a group of grandmas who get together on Tuesdays and pull their money. 
Um, it tends to be smaller investments, though not always, uh, but it tends to be earlier stage companies that don't haven't necessarily made a profit yet. Uh, some of them may not even have revenue yet. So a lot of tech would fall into this venture capitalism. Is that like, this yeah, is like your generally, generally tech? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So what about angel investing? Because when I was starting my business, I remember seeing the word angel investing a lot. And then I you know, got distracted with 50 million other opportunities. <laughs> what is an angel so investor? It's usually the early end of venture. So angel investing is uh, somebody has a good idea and that's about it. So it's super early in a company's life cycle. It may just be a good idea. Maybe there's a product that, you know, hasn't gone anywhere yet. No, usually would be pre-revenue. So there's no revenue yet. It might, so it can be anywhere from just a good idea in somebody's head to, well, you know, I kind of made this product service widget, uh, but I haven't really sold it to anybody yet. So it's really early stage. Okay. So very similar concepts, just like different stages, different stages in the, in a company's journey. So it oh. would be angel venture, private equity much later. Got it. Now are, and maybe this is like a totally different thing, but what about loans? Like are any of these loans or are these, would these all be equity? Like what does that look like? Yeah. So they might be structured as loans, but by and large, they're always equity. By and large, always equity. Okay. Okay. So even though, you know, because I heard, you know, I've, angel investors sound so amazing. Like you even have to pay them back, but you, you have to give them something. Uh, yeah. So sometimes, I mean, the, the, honestly, the most angel investors are friends and family. So they may not call themselves angel investors. They may call themselves an uncle uh, or grandma or neighbor or childhood friend. Uh, but most angels are the people who really know and trust the founder and give them a bit of money to get them going. Now, there are professional angel investors. Uh, you, you know, those are people who are prepared to take a lot of risk. Okay. Because you're investing really early. So those are the people who, you know, when you hear about Facebook or Uber or Airbnb, and you hear about the angel investors who made, you know, 12,000 times their money, uh, sure. Most angel investors lose their money. Uh, but, uh, you know, they do it because they believe in the founder, they believe in the product, they believe in the sector, they believe in the cause, uh, they're related to the founder. <laughs> they're obligated. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we call ourselves a venture capital and private equity. We do both. Um, and, you know, when we get the list of shareholders, so when we go back to, again, it's angel, then venture, then private equity. So at the venture stage, uh, when we see a company, it's usually got some revenue. It's got a little bit of a team. Um, you know, they've proven out the product, service widget, whatever it is. But when we look at the list of shareholders, uh, most often there'll be a third of the shareholders have the same last name. Wow. But it really is friends and family, right? It's, you know, it's you or me or whoever it is saying, I've got a really good idea. Banks don't invest in good ideas. Funds don't invest in good ideas. You go to your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your rich uncle or whoever you go to and say, hey, we, and it's usually not lots of money. It's usually, you know, a few people, 10 grand at a time or a few people, 10, 25, 30, that kind of thing. And you cobble together some whatever you need to get to the next step. Interesting. So do you do any angel investing or do you strictly stick to the proven... Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we've found, and this is a bit of trial and error, is that uh, you've got to have a discipline. Doesn't There's no right or wrong discipline. 
you just have to have one, right? And you say, because you, you see a lot of opportunities uh, and you've got to be able to have some methodology to say, these are the ones we'll pursue and these are the ones that we won't. So uh, we just don't have the, uh, the bandwidth. Uh, we're a very small team here, there's only eight of us. Um, we don't have the bandwidth to do the work required to look into angel investing. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we sort of look, uh, you know, our ideal investment would be about a million dollars in revenue, um, you know, or last month was sort of 86,000, which would indicate that it's a million uh, and a team of, you know, sort of eight, 10, uh, which means the founders had to go out and hire people. Uh, hopefully none of those eight to 10 have the same last name as the founder. <laughs> or live with the founder or live in the founder's basement. So it's, you know, an honest start of a team. Uh, so can the founder hire people? Can the founder sort of build out an org chart? That's the stage we like to invest in. So it can be really early. The company can, you know, most of them don't make money at that point, but they've sort of gone down the journey. And again, of that million in revenue, we'd really prefer that it wasn't the founder's family, neighbors, former employer buying the product or service. Yeah, that makes sense. Real third-party sales. Yeah. Uh, you know, I resonate with what you said about like knowing your discipline, knowing, knowing where your focus is. We have the same thing with real estate. You know, there's so many opportunities we could do short-term rentals or, um, flipping or rent to own, or the list goes on and on and on. And, um, we've kind of had to narrow, we continuously have to narrow down to be like, this is what we know. This is what we do. This is what we kind of understand. Otherwise, you know, you can spend all day just kind of constantly looking at all the opportunities. Um, and, and, yeah, and you so, get FOMO, right? Like that's when, you know, as an investor, you get FOMO and, and that drives your investment decisions and that never works. Yeah. Then you're thinking, yeah, then you're, you're making these decisions from the way that you feel versus the actual, the actual numbers of the business. Uh, but yeah. it's always so interesting to me when people are like, well, you know, what about, have you thought about doing this or is this a good opportunity or this? And I'm like, I mean, kind of like what you said there, no right or wrong. It's just, what are you, where you can make money in any of those. It's just, Where's our specialty? Where's, where's where, where I want to be the, as we said in the last episode, which if you haven't listened, go listen to it. The, uh, the love and rock side where what's in the love and rock side. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, when anybody comes to me and says, I kind of want to get into, you know, investing, what do I do? Have discipline and work, work out what your discipline is. And, and, you know, even have one on day one, you can change it, but at least have discipline. Yeah. Uh, that's don't such allow good advice. The, this is such a great opportunity to distract you from your discipline. Um, you know, you'd be better to let a couple of winners get by you than to have a couple of losers that you knew better. If mm. that great advice. It's a good reminder. Cause yesterday I just saw something that said um, somebody, I think paid, I don't know, $15 for Bitcoin 12 years ago. Now it's worth like 40 million or something. And they, they held on to it for that's discipline. That's 12 years. Um, but, uh, it's certainly, it's so easy, right? Like there's all, it's everything's shiny. Everything's, um, everything's amazing. I mean, obviously wish we'd pick that one up, but you, you have to have to know where your, where your focus is. So yeah, I appreciate that. So what, it, as a business, um, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to, working with private equity and venture capitalism. Can you speak to some of those? Like what, you know, uh, obviously money is money is one, but like, it's also not just money. It's what the money enables you to do. But what are some of the other benefits as well of, of working with venture capitalism? And what do you, what are, what's the trade-off there? What do you give up? Yeah. So I think anybody who's looking to, whether it's, you know, getting a few angel investors in, getting a venture capital, you know, investors in, or ultimately if you've got a bigger business, getting private equity in is the question is, what do you need the money for? 
So do you need the money because you can't afford to grow the company because you don't want to put any more money in to grow the company or because you want them to buy a portion of the company from you so that you can take some money off the table and put it in your pocket and, you know, do whatever it is that you want to do with it. And there's no wrong answer in this equation, right? This is your business. You can do what you want with it. So I'd say if you intentionally need more money, right, and whether you need it because you want to take some out or you need it because you want to grow it, um, you will give up something for that, right? Whether it's you give up some control, you, you give up the ability to do anything you want whenever you want. Uh, you have somebody else now you need to report to and who's entitled to information. And whether they're legally entitled or morally entitled or both, in fairness, they gave you some money, they should probably get some information. And they probably have the right legally or morally to call you, ask you questions. And some entrepreneurs just don't like that. And I'd be one of them. Um, you know, I, I, there's a reason I don't have a fund. It's because I don't want to answer the phone to people who want to tell me how to act and what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Um, so, you know, to my own detriment, perhaps I, I don't, but that's the way I want to run and the way I want to lead my life. So that, that's what I do. Um, but yeah, there's absolutely a trade-off. And the, the more money you take, the more you owe somebody else. And I don't mean owe in the financial sense, though that's true too. But the more you'll give up and the more rights you'll give up and the more board seats you'll give up and the more you'll be answering to somebody else. And again, that's not right or wrong, right? If you don't have the money to grow the company or don't want to put the money in to grow the company and don't want to is a fair answer too, right? Not everybody wants to sell their house to put the money into the company. It's, it's not a wrong answer. Um, if you don't have the ability to grow it and you want to grow it, nothing says in the life you have to grow your business. But if you want to and you don't have the money to do it or don't want to put it in, you are going to need to take it from somebody else. And then the question is, how much do you need? And I, my advice is always take as little as you need um, to continue to grow the business. Would your advice like on the flip side then also be give as little as you need as well? Yeah. Yeah, I just keep it. Okay. So what are, what do you see most, I mean, you've invested now over 20 companies, right? What do you see most people, you know, they, they get the capital. What are they doing with that to grow? Like, what are the, what are some of their plans? What are they, what are they doing with it? What does it allow them to do? Yeah. So, I mean, it's certainly in some cases, it's the founder has everything they have in the business and that's become uncomfortable. So they want to take some of it and put it in their pocket. And as long as... You know, as long as that's clear, you know, we, we've, it's, and that's more in private equity than in venture. So it's more in established businesses that have a bottom line. And the owner says, you know what, I'm not ready to sell it all, but I am ready to sell part of it. So I still want to keep running it. I still want to own maybe the majority, maybe a minority. I still want to be involved, but I want to put some money, take, you know, I've got too many chips in this business basket and I want to take some out and I want to put my kids in private school or buy a nicer house or whatever it is they wanted. That's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. When you first said that, it was like, almost felt like a red flag to me. I'm like, oh, why don't, and this is obviously a mindset thing. I'm like, oh, why wouldn't they want their money in it? Or is I, and I was sort of wondering if that would be a red flag for you that someone doesn't want their own money in the business, but there's, it's actually the opposite. Sometimes people have got in too far, right? Uh, you know, we're invested in one business, um, you know, where the owner or the founder would be in his mid late fifties. Um, you know, he and his family had everything in the business. That was too much, right? And so, you know, that was causing him and his family distress. So now, you know, that's not necessarily the best for an investor to have the leader of the business 
be so invested in the business that they lose sleep at night over it. Yeah. And you want a little bit of tension and losing sleep. You don't want so much tension that people can't support themselves in the way that they want to support themselves. So there's a bit of that too, for sure. I mean, there is a bit of a red flag if somebody says it's a really early stage business and I really want to sell almost all of it. Okay, well, what do, you, what do you know that I don't know? Because you know the business better than me. And if you want out of it, tell me why I want in it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but later in life, you know, later in a business's life cycle, you know, a, a, an owner founder saying, I want to take some chips off the table, perfectly appropriate, um, you know, and, and no harm. Um, but I, I think, you know, at the earlier stage in a company, uh, you know, tread warily. Take as little as you can and take it from the friendliest source you can find. Uh, why did, you know, why does that matter? A, there's sort of a social stigma of taking money from your family. Like if your family's prepared to invest in you, as long as their eyes wide open and they're not doing it because they think they're going to be Facebook millionaires or billionaires, but they really get that this is money they could lose. And, it, you know, you know your own friends and family better than anybody else. Like look into your heart and say, could these people honestly lose this money? How would I feel if they did lose this money? You know, we're still all going to have Thanksgiving together and our kids going to play together. Yeah. And if the answer is, yeah, like their eyes wide open, it's not a huge amount of money for any of them and they could all afford to lose it. And I'm super confident in this business. You know, the friendlier the source, the less likely they are to control you and what you want to do with the business. Mm. Yeah. Early days, friends and family, you know, everybody says, oh, no, go to third parties. It's nothing wrong with friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, um, that was a mindset we had to get over in our real estate business. I always heard like, don't mix business and family and friends and all that and money. And like, but I just feel like that's kind of one of those old school mantras that actually doesn't play out very well because the reason why so many of us have distorted visions of money is because we never talk about it and we never share it. And we just have like weird perceptions around it. Um, so we, that's where we started with, and that's what we, that's how we raise our capital right now is just friends and family. And we do have to, I, like, I think in some ways we show up even better. Cause I'm like, I love these people. I will do everything it takes to, to, yeah. to do good by them and by us. And it, yeah, I think it's uh it's community. And um, so, yeah, I think that that's a really interesting piece of advice there and start, start with the friendly people. And, but you know, you do have to check in and say like, am I going to, how am I going to feel if this goes bad? And, and yeah, it's real, that risk, right. Especially oh, in yeah. the stage business, the risk is real that it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like everybody's good intentions aside, the risk is real. Yeah. So as a, you know, you are, I'm like, you're giving the money out. You're giving out the capital. Nobody's calling you, but I'm assuming you're calling them and you're checking in on these businesses. Yeah, we check in, um, you know, and I, I'd say that the best match is where everybody's calling each other. So mm-hmm. where the investors have something to add to the business. So that'd be sort of the next thing is if you're going to take money from somebody else, if you can take money and brains, that's better than just money. So if they know something about the sector, they know something about the industry, they've got good experience, they've got management experience. Back to you know the last episode, if there's something that you aren't great at that an investor may bring or supplement or backstop, that's a positive. Uh, somebody who can sort of see your blind spots, uh, maybe you know whether it's you know if your your business is a product and the investor can help you get the product on the shelves somewhere that you want it to be or is networked in that industry, that, that's helpful. So, you know, it's money plus what, right? If you can make money plus something, that's better than just money. 
That makes me think of Dragon's Den, how many times people go in and they think I want to work with this person because of this, or like there's, um, you know, people because of their experiences. I mean, I have some, I have some ideas of why people would want to work with you and what the brains are that they get working with you. But like, what do you, what do you see as the value you bring? Cause I can tell, um, you know, from your experience, the way you even just show up that you've got a lot to share. What, like, what do you think the biggest value is that you bring besides money to these businesses? And honestly, sometimes it's nothing. Uh, and I think the honest venture capitalist and private equity will tell you, we, we, we just don't know your sector. Well, um, the stuff that you, even though in those situations, you may have, contacts and references. So business needs a CFO at some point. Oh, well, you know, we worked with a CFO in one of our other companies who we know is looking for a job now. You know, we know somebody who knows somebody. So, you know, I I think we bring our community. And so the things that I think we bring, we bring a pretty huge community. Uh, and we spend a lot of time and a lot of hard work maintaining that community and staying in touch with them. So that if we think that they have something to offer to one of the businesses we invest in, that we're able to, to sort of match make, I guess, you know, be the, the venture capital Tinder and, and put people together and connect them. Uh, Do you have an app? Is there? Is there... <laughs> yeah, we work on it. Yeah. yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but I, so I'd say that's sort of the, the, the lead thing we offer is that network. Uh, in some industries, we've got more expertise than others. Um, but we really, you know, we try to be founder friendly and founder supportive. Uh, you know, our, our, our mantra is not to demand lots of reporting. We try to stay out of the way. We don't, you know, we don't ask for customized reporting. Uh, you know, we want the business founder and leader to be focused on the business and give us the information that they're using uh, as they drive the business. And if we have some suggestions of, you know what, have you thought of this or have you looked at that? We'll offer them up. But we also have to understand that, you know, if we own 2% of the company, we're not in the driver's seat here, right? We're an investor and that entitles us to some stuff, doesn't entitle us to, you know, put our foot on the gas and our hand on the steering wheel. Mm. So the flip side of that is as investors, we better make sure that the person who does have their foot on the gas and their hand on the steering wheel is somebody we're confident in. Mm-hmm. Is there a typical amount of equity that you sort of look for or, or that, um, like that, that people should business entrepreneurs should be thinking about as they're going in? Like, how do you, how do you come to that? Cause yeah. I mean, there's a huge spectrum there. There's a huge spectrum and it really is a case by case. So, you know, most people think their companies are worth more than they are. Um, you know, most people think their car is worth more than it is as well. So, um, you know, that's not, not unusual. But the market will tell you what your business is worth. Talk to enough people. Uh, you'll get enough, you know, if, you're, if your number is wrong, you'll get enough people saying no, that that'll be your indication that, you know, you're probably off. Mm. So back to again, though, you give up as little as you can for as much as you can, but there's a tension there, right? The, the, the tension is you get zero if, if the number, you know, if you're not prepared to give up enough. Yeah. I mean, the Dragon's Den, I guess, taught us that, right? <laughs> People like yeah, coming in inflated you know, values. I'd, I'd hate for your listeners, though, to sort of watch Dragon's Den and think that's how investors act. Um, you know, we, buy, I mean, I'm sure there are investors that act that way, but by and large, most investors are pretty friendly to founders. Uh, you know, I mean, Vancouver is a small city. Uh, most people will make time, uh, you know, and in most cities around the world, investors will make time. Like that's how we work, right? If we don't, if we don't see a lot of different companies, uh, we can't make good decisions and stay within our discipline. So we have to meet with a lot of entrepreneurs. So we do. Um, so, you, you know, 
like investors like us, we all tend to be pretty friendly, pretty approachable. Um, and the good investors will say no quickly, right? And that's not because we're mean, it's because let's not both waste our time, right? As, as the founder, we don't want you wasting time if we're never gonna invest in you. Like go out and find the people who do want to invest in you. So a quick no is always better than a, you know, a slow no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the good investors will give quick notes uh, or will even just tell you, you know what, I'll, t- I'll meet with you, but I'm telling you that all the value in this meeting is, is advice. So uh, this is some, this is such amazing insight. So do do if let's say I wanted to raise money, do I literally just Google private equity firm and my yeah. city or my province or whatever, whatever that is, and then just start calling? Like how, how do you, yeah, well, what does I mean, that look like? Everybody's got a website, like everybody. So okay. take a look on the website and see if the companies that that private equity firm or venture capital fund have invested in, do they look like yours, right? So, uh, you know, and most of them have some sort of criteria on their website in terms of size or size and in industry or, uh, you know, what they look for. And, you know, respect that. If, if, if they've put up a size and you're way outside it, uh, respect that they're not for you. If you're very marginally outside, might be worth a pitch. Um, but if you're way outside their criteria or you look on their website and none of those companies look anything vaguely resembling yours, probably not a good use of time. Mm. So, uh, the Great other advice. one would be to take a look at the companies that you think started off like you did and find out how they got there. So who did they raise money from? So if you're, uh, I, I'm making up a story here, but if you're an early stage non-dairy cheese alternative company who are the other non-dairy cheese alternative companies uh what was their journey right hit up google uh pick up the phone and phone the founder of the company and say how did you get where you got uh what was your journey who invested in you now they may not tell you but there's no harm in the asking uh and there's a lot of stuff publicly available in terms of like people like me when we invest in companies that do well we're shameless about taking credit for it so we 100% put on our website that we were investors in it. Sometimes the stuff that we invest in that doesn't go so well, we make disappear from our website. But all the successes <laughs> are always going to be on our website. So, you know, if you're looking at the companies that have been in your space that have been successful, if people invested in them, it will be out there. Yeah, that's good. I mean, and here's the thing, like you could, you know, you Vancouver, of course, there's a lot we're talking about, you know, non-dairy cheese. It's everywhere. Um, but, you know, you might not be able to like, find out from the non-dairy cheese person, but you could probably find out from uh, maybe the person that had has non-meat uh, sausages, right? Like someone in a kind of a parallel related space. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That's such such great advice because I yeah, I don't uh, as Instagram Poll scientifically told us people want to know everything. So that's yeah, great. Cause I didn't, I didn't even know where to start. I would not know. So that's super, super helpful. Yeah, really cool. Never hesitate to ask, right? Like there's not a phone call or a quick email is pretty, is, is not overly time consuming. If you're not sure if an investor is appropriate for you, just ask them, tell them a little bit about yourself. You don't have to give them the ins and outs, but say, you know what? I'm a non-dairy cheese company with about X dollars in revenue. And I'm in about X number of stores and you know, I'm looking to raise some X dollars for Y purpose. Is that a conversation you'd be interested in having with me? And then, you know, there's no, if the answer is no, there's no harm in saying, can you think of anybody who would be interested in that conversation? Mm. Right. It's a small, it's a small ecosphere of investors as well. Yeah. And people who specialize, uh, you know, we don't, but there are a lot of folks who are pretty specialized and 
I, I don't want to say there are people who specialized in non-dairy cheese alternatives, but there are people who are specialized in, you know, the alternative food space for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what do you, so is it literally just a simple equation or simple? I'm using air quotes here, but you know, here's the valuation of my business, which, you know, you figure out, get some feedback on, and then here's the amount of money that I need. And then a discussion with, you know, venture capitalist or private equity to figure out what's the right kind of percentage that that makes sense in is, is it quote that simple? It's that simple. I mean, it's simple, but it's not, it's a negotiation. And, you know, the challenge is somebody else has the money and you don't. So, you, you know, if you have something highly desirable, you've got more leverage than if you don't, um, you know, so the number of investors interested in you will help drive the valuation in your favor. And the lesser number of investors interested will drive the valuation against you. So do you often find that investors come to you and say, I've got, or sorry, entrepreneurs come to you and say, I've got four investors interested in this already. Do you want to throw your name in the hat to be number five? Does that happen? Time. Yeah. Or one of those other four investors calls and says, hey, we've, we're going to go into XYZ company. Uh, you know, they're raising a million dollars. They've raised 750 so far. Do you want the last 250? Huh. It's a pretty collegial environment, right? Like the at the end of the day, any investor wants the company to raise the amount of money it needs. So if you know, if we're there first, we'll take what we want of the let's say they're raising a million dollars, we'll take what we want of the million dollars. But then it's in our interest now to help them find the rest of the million dollars. So we'll call the people we know who we think would be interested in the space and say, hey, we're in on this. Uh, we think it's a fit for you as well. Would you be interested too? Ah, that's, I mean, that's just so much more powerful than trying to do it all on your own. I think um, entrepreneurship has this, it's so, it can be very lonely sometimes and hearing stories like this is super uh, inspiring and just a great reminder that like nobody does it by themselves and we all have to rely on help. What you want is that lead investor, right? You want somebody, you know, whatever you're raising and if you're raising, you know, a million, I'll use a million bucks because it's a round number. You want that first 250. And if somebody's got that for you, you know, and the more cachet that investor has, the more likely you are to get the rest of the 750. So if you're in a space that, uh, and somebody who's got expertise in that space invests in you, everybody else will pile on real quick. Right? Because they say, well, hang on, this guy, you know, this investor's known to be able to pick winners in the alternative food space. Uh, this must be another one. So I can imagine this is as an entrepreneur, it's really important to be able to evaluate, like not just the money of what you need, but also what other kind of skills or network connections or other expertise would be valuable for your business. Like, and that's where that simple equation becomes not so simple, right? Yeah. I mean, if you never scaled a business and you, it'd be nice to have investors who've helped scale businesses, yeah. right? They'll know the pitfalls. Uh, you know, they may, may be helpful in contacts. They may be helpful in, you know what, it's time for a CFO or no, it's not time yet for a CFO. You know, it's time for, uh, you know, whatever next stage of your business is, right? So that's always helpful. This is, it's so um, cool to hear the win-win behind it. Because going into this conversation, I mean, I had some sense of this, but it it seemed like, okay, I gave you money. You give me part of the company. That's the relationship. But it's it's actually sounds a lot more of a relationship than just simply that transaction of the money and the equity trade. 
Would you say, say that's your experience? Yeah, I'd say most investors are looking to be some degree of involved. Right. I, I, there, there are very few investors. And if I mean, there are some sort of high net worth individuals that will just put money in. They'll usually put money in behind an experienced investor. So back to somebody who has expertise in the space says, I'm in for, you know, X amount of the, the total and a bunch of other people will pile in for a smaller amount. Those people might be sort of, well, you know, if, you know, Jane has invested in this totally, Jane's got this. She knows the space. She knows how to do this. I'll put my few chips in behind Jane. I got nothing to add to this that Jane doesn't know. So we'll just go along for the ride. Um, but, you know, you kind of want that Jane or Jane Inc. in there that you can follow. And as an entrepreneur, you want to find your Jane Inc. or Jane. Yeah, that's Preferably really- Probably more than one. Uh, but, you know, if all you've got is one and that person has enough cachet or that firm has enough cachet, that brings the rest of the investors. Uh, that's just such great advice. So how do you how do you find your Jane? How do you know if it's a legitimate Jane? Like, what kind of due diligence do entrepreneurs need to do for private equity and venture capital firms? They need to do more uh, and not just be sort of, you know, I think a lot of back to thinking, you know, Canadian, we tend to say, oh, somebody's prepared to give me some money. Wow. Thank you. Like I don't deserve it, so you know I'll I'll just take it and not question. Mm-hmm. Um, there are bad fits out there for sure. There are bad fits, uh, and if you are desperate and you have to take a bad fit, that's life, right? Um, but if you're not desperate and you've got choices, you should investigate the options and who's prepared to invest. Uh, and you know I think the easiest way is who else have you invested in, and phone them. Like a good investor will say, "Here's our portfolio." Phone anybody you like. I'll give you the phone number of any any CEO or founder in that that portfolio. Phone them and ask them: Are we good to work with? Are we easy to work with? Are we a pain in the ass? What do we like? Yeah. Do and, I make you time your stamp your vacation? Yeah. I mean, we would do that willingly. If somebody said, "Can you know give us references?" I'd give you the list of all all of the CEOs and founders we've invested in. And you know, I mean, for sure, we have better and stronger relationships with some than others. But call around like that. Yeah. If, this is, if this isn't a fit, it's not a fit. Yeah. Um, and I think any good investor would say the same thing. They'd say, here's what I've invested in the past, phone anybody. So checking references sounds like one of the biggest pieces of due diligence that investors can do. And, and good sorry, entrepreneurs will do it. Yeah, good entrepreneurs will do it. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I had a call this morning uh, from a company we're looking to invest in. Somebody else phoned me and said, hey, I got a call from someone. So they're asking uh, how big a pain in the ass you are. What was the answer? Yeah, well, that's what that, that was the question I asked too. It's like, <laughs> what would you, what'd you tell them exactly? Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's. Um, but when yeah. I hear that, like to me, that's a CEO or founder doing the right thing, right? They're not just blindly taking money. They're saying, "Hang on a sec, like let me let me do some due diligence. Let me ask the questions. Like, you know, I mean, how big a pain in the ass is? You know, certainly one of the questions you should ask. But uh, you know, what do they bring to the table? Have they been useful to you, to you as an entrepreneur uh, during their investment? I love your attitude about this too, Yuri, because like it'd be very <laughs> easy to, I can imagine some people would get triggered or get upset, be like, well, they're calling people and asking what I'm like. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it takes humility to, to say, go ahead, ask around and you're, you know, find out because, um, you know, you see the value in them doing that. So I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's really important, yeah, that transparency and humility. Yeah, we want it to be a good match too. 
Yeah. Right? Like we don't want you know, if, like we have a lot of options. We we want to make sure that we're paired with uh, founders and CEOs that are sort of you know values aligned and mission aligned and um, you know not to say our values are right or wrong or better or worse, but you need alignment. So what's the due diligence that you do for? I'm, I'm sure it's a lot. Uh, you may don't have to tell us, you know, all the documents and everything you're reading through, but what does that, what does that look like? What should, how should entrepreneurs be, pre- what should they be prepared for if they're looking for investors? Yeah. So I, I'll be really blunt. Uh, entrepreneurs should be prepared for us to go through their underwear drawer because we will. Like we, there is nothing we will not look into. Mm. Uh, nobody we will not call. Now we may do some or all of it, we may rely on another investor to do some or all of it. And, you know, that's the real win is when you have a lead investor who takes on the role. So you don't have to, as an entrepreneur, you're not having to do the same work for a bunch of different investors. Right. But, uh, you, you know, where we, where, where we don't know the other investors, so we can't rely on the work that they've done, um, or where those investors aren't prepared to share their work, which some are not for liability reasons, uh, we will go through absolutely everything. It will be exhaustive. We will talk to customers. We'll talk to suppliers. Um, you know, to be brutally honest, if we're in any doubt, we'll hire private investigators. Interesting. Wow. Wow. This is a very, I mean, that's so thorough. Yeah. And to think of it this way, right? I mean, it sounds, but we're trusting somebody, right? We don't control this company. We're, we're giving our money to somebody who, uh, at the end of the day, could could disappear with it, right? And we've only we've we've never had that happen. We did have a founder once take some money from a bank account and disappear to Australia. Uh, as I joke, because I'm Australian originally, that's where all the the, the felons go. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, there is a huge amount of trust on our side. So we, you know, we need to make sure that uh, you know we don't sign checks. Right. So we give up the money and believe that it's going to be put to the purposes that it's put to. And the amount of checks and balances after the check is written are somewhat limited. So mm. we have one chance to do the work up front. And I mean, I, you know, throughout the private investigator thing, we, we, we have in fact done it once, um, you know, when we were seriously concerned. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, the actual business, be prepared, right? Like this is, it's not personal. It's not somebody doubting your words. It's somebody doing the work. And especially if the investor represents other people, they have an obligation to those other people to do that work, right? They can be sued by those other people. So if it's a fund or a, you know, a group of investors acting together, they really have a fiduciary duty to, to do that work. Uh, and we all do. So you know, you're better as a, a founder or a CEO to be prepared for it get everything ready. Somebody is going through everything. Prep your customers that people will call. Prep your suppliers that people will call. You know, if you've had a job in the past in that industry, prep people you've worked with that somebody's calling. Um, wow. Good investors do the work. Right? They have wow. one chance to do it, right? Once the money's in, it's in. Can't get yeah. it back. Yeah. Right? Do you chat with like employees as well? Yeah, uh, you know, we're careful. Um, so we try not to disrupt the business. So mm, okay. you know, we're not phoning suppliers and saying, hey, the company's out of money. We're going to throw them a lifeline. You know, are they okay? Like we, we, we don't, we're, we're way smarter than that, right? We, we, we want the business to be set up for success. So we'll say something like, you know, we're super excited about the business. It seems to be growing. Uh, you know, it seems to be resonating with consumers. Is that your experience as well? 
you know, how mm. has the company been to deal with? You know, we're looking to inject a bunch of capital to help it grow even bigger and faster and stronger. Um, you know, how has the founder been to deal with? You know, does product resonate with your consumers? Uh, you know, are your store managers reordering it? What, you know, depending on the product or service. Um, you know, so we do take it from a very positive standpoint uh, if we're talking to employees. And, you know, usually it's only the senior team we would talk to, but it would just be to determine, you know, is the senior team the right team? to take this forward? Um, you know, do they have the right resumes? Are they all mission aligned? Um, you know, do, is the story they're telling us the same story the founder's telling us? Or is there a disconnect between the founder and the employees as to where we're going with this thing, uh, what we're here to do? Uh, but again, we do it in a very, we all do it in a very positive way. I, you know, I, I, the number of stories of investors sort of inappropriately asking questions, I could count on one hand over the years. Most of, you know, most of the response from the people we're calling is, oh, wow, like, good for you. You know, you've got people like really looking to invest in you. That's great for you. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually a real positive experience. It's not, not, not a negative. It, it is time consuming though. So as, as the person seeking investment, you've got to be prepared to do the work. It, this is very distracting as a process. It is not a week long process. It's months long. Uh, and it's exhaustive because you're going to have to do it for a lot of people and they've got a lot of questions. They're not always the same question. You'd think that everybody asks the same questions. They don't. Everybody's got very different questions based on their understanding of your industry. So be ready. It will distract you from your business. Like it just will. There's I, no way around it. Unless you're so desirable in the market uh, that you can sort of basically tell people, well, you know, give me your money or whatever. I don't care. Somebody else will do it. That is like one in a million. The rest of you, you got to work at it and you're going to have to just accommodate a lot of questions and a lot of data requests and a lot of information requests and uh, plan on three to six months of doing very little else. Wow. As a founder. As a founder. Literally wow. three to six months of doing very little else. So you'll run wow. the company on the side almost as you deal wow. with investors. Well, I was very naive going to this. I was like, oh, it must just be a really good pitch deck and answer some questions. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome though. I mean, and I could see, I mean, that's gotta be helpful for everybody, right? Make sure it's the right relationship. And um, yeah, I love the questions that you ask too, and the positive mind. And I'm sure for, you know, just as I said, like, it's amazing that you're open when they're checking your references. It probably also tells you a lot if they're open with you checking all of, you know, their references or their underwear drawer, the whole spectrum. Yeah, I mean, if, if an investor won't tell you anything about themselves, that's that's a big red flag. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What uh, what are your best tips, would you say, for someone pitching or for someone, yeah, that's that first contact, hey, I have this, this business, are you interested? Yeah, so remember that the other person, he has 100 pitches a week, literally 100 pitches a week. So it gets to the point really fast. Uh, practice the pitch with a lot of people who don't know your business. So don't go and pitch your husband or your wife or your, you know, your employees. They know the business as well as you do. They get it. Go and pitch people who, you know, practice by pitching people who have no clue what it is you do. And if after a minute they can't tell you what you do, your pitch isn't simple enough, right? You've got to really get to the point fast, right? And, and, and you've got to have sort of simplified your value proposition of why your product, service, or widget has a market, uh, and summarize where you are, like really where you are. Um, I, the other thing I'd say is make sure your forecasting is real. 
like the number of pitches we see that end in a billion dollars in revenue is overwhelming, right? Most businesses don't end in a billion dollars in revenue anytime in the lifetime. And that's okay. They don't need to. Be realistic about that, where, where the business is going and how long it'll take to get there. If your investors aren't patient enough, uh, they're going to be no fun to deal with. So if you give them a forecast that says a billion dollars in five years and you're a $50 million in, you know, in five years, they're going to be really impatient and really grumpy. You'd rather not have them in, as investors. Find investors that you know believe in the trajectory that you're actually on. Mm-hmm. You can be ambitious, but don't be unrealistic. We're, we're turned off more by unrealistic than unambitious, if that makes sense. I'd rather somebody came and pitched and said, you know what, we're going to grow at X, Y, Z rate. Uh, and I believe it and I can show it and back it up and, uh, you know, I'll stand behind it. And uh, then somebody who's got some huge number at the end of the deck that I just, I, I know that's not real. Mm-hmm. This uh, is so- really important. So many good tips, you know, reach out to people, um, just, you know, just do your due diligence, be ready with realistic numbers, be ready to open up your underwear drawer and be followed by private investigators, whatever that is. Um, are there any other, and be ready for this to be your full-time job for three to six months to actually go through that process. I just want to check in. Are there any kind of last tips or suggestions you would have for a, for a founder, for an entrepreneur looking to raise funding, anything else you think is you wish, like you wish you could tell every founder out there. Yeah. So listen to the feedback to your pitch and your deck, right? So, you know, you, assuming the investor just didn't get it. Well, okay. They didn't get it. Well, was that them or was that your, something in your, your material? So like at every pitch, try and get feedback. Not everybody will give it to you, but try and get it. And where you get it, incorporate it, right? And improve so your pitch deck on your last pitch should be markedly different than the pitch deck on your first pitch. And same with your narrative. Uh, you should have improved it. If you haven't changed it, you weren't listening. Because oh, uh, there's no way you got it 100% right the first time. No way. So listen to it and improve it over, over time and get people's feedback. And, um, and, and remember that it's not a no isn't a personal no. It's not that somebody didn't like you. It's that they've got a discipline that doesn't include you, that, you know, they've already invested in that sector enough, that there's all sorts of reasons why the answer is no. But remember as well that the answer is yes until it's no. Right? So, you know, everybody is, oh, wow, this is really cool and isn't this great and good for you until the answer is no. You actually want them to get to no fast. Mm, so they're not so wasting you your time. To, yeah. You, you, you know, if, if you're sensing that they're not into it, they're not replying to your emails, don't, don't waste a lot of time. If, if people are interested, they will, you know, they will respond. If you're not getting any response for weeks and months and you're getting sort of the runaround, just take that as not interested. Yeah. Move on. Such great advice. Um, you've said that your journey into entrepreneurship, it started with the bank of mom. Yep. And you also talked about, um, you know, friends and family. And I also just want to take a moment and recognize like that is also a privilege and it's a privilege that I know I have, and not everybody has that. What do you think needs to change in the world of, you know, venture capitalism so that more entrepreneurs are given a chance, whether it's at the angel investor stage, uh, that's probably more likely to be it, I guess, now that I understand the differences, but what do you think needs to change so that more people have that opportunity, the people that don't have the, the rich mom or, or, or uncle or those people to go to? Yeah. So a, a few things. I, I, I think we need to create an environment where information like the stuff we're talking about today is more readily available 
through our education system, you know, government can support this uh, in sort of, you know, informing people. I mean, there are great organizations out there, you know, I, you know, for, for women entrepreneurs, there's the forum uh, it's out of Vancouver and Toronto that creates sort of networks for, for women entrepreneurs. Um, you know, people also need to tap into them, um, you know, and, and access them and they take time and, uh, and work to, to access as well. But I think we need an informed community of what's available and what's out there. Um, and I think the, in reality, the government can do a better job of early stage investing too, right? The biggest balance sheet in the country belongs to the government. So, you know, what, what would they like to put at risk? What tax benefits can they put uh, available for people like me that would help us invest in earlier stage companies? There are some for sure, um, but what else could be available too so that we're co-investing with the biggest balance sheet in the country? Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of statistics out there. Um, I mean, I just heard uh, Serena Williams talking about her, you know, the fund that she's working on. Um, I'm, I, I'm not going to quote all the statistics, but there's one that I read that um, 80, over 80% of venture capitalism goes to all male companies, whereas less than 2% goes to all female founded companies. And it, there's many different statistics that are tell the same story that you're more likely to get the money if you are a man or if you have a man, even just one of them on your team on, in the executive leadership team um, than women, you know, and I think that sends, uh, that sends a lot of messages to women. I wonder like, and I agree, you know, we all have to show up to the table. We all have to be willing to do it. But I think, I wonder what kind of messages have we consciously or subconsciously absorbed that, you know, women don't even think about these opportunities. And I'm just curious, like, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And what do you, what work do you think the industry has to do? What work do you think we have to do as, as women entrepreneurs as well? Yeah. I, the statistics are terrible. I, I mean, women receive a, a, a fraction of the funding that men, men receive, which is, you know, that's, and, and that's the women that showed up, right. L let alone the women who chose not to, to, to participate because they didn't, didn't feel that they belonged at the table. So, right, it's a, so of the people who showed up, only a fraction of the women get, get investment. So, you know, it, the, the, the terrible statistic doesn't, in fact, tell all of the terrible story. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people like me have to do a better job. Right? At, at the end of the day, if, if we want equity and equality, we actually have to create that. So what are, what are investors doing to make sure that uh, female-led businesses, uh, the pitches are getting heard? the pitches are getting through, that we're asking the right questions, that we're not sort of doing a, a cover judgment, uh, but that we're really probing. Uh, I think we could, you know, there are some government programs to support women's entrepreneurship. There aren't enough. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's, it's to all of us. So both the investors, uh, whether they be institutional, individual, et cetera, it's to investors to do a better job. I mean, we're, we're blessed about a, a third of our companies are female founded and female led. Uh, it's still not good enough, right? Like that's, we're, we're barely scratching the, the surface. We need to do better as well. Uh, you know, we're, we're on, a, on a mission to try and get to, to, to gender parity amongst our investments. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, that, says a, that says a lot, you know, the, the statistics are showing it's a, you know, 2% in your 30% or, or higher, like that's, that says something. And I appreciate the intention that you have behind it and the awareness of it. Um, I think that like, that's the first step and and you're already taking action on it. So, you know, thank you for that. Thank you. No, 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 we've just all got to do a better job. If we want a different outcome, we've all got to do a better job. 
do you, I don't have the statistics uh, in terms of um, uh, people of color, but and I'm assuming the statistics are probably even more dismal. Is that something that you guys also look at? So it, we haven't. Um, we've just begun tracking uh, that. So we'll we'll have our data together to, to understand where we're to firstly understand where we're at. Uh, and we've also begun to track Indigenous participation in Indigenous-led businesses. So that's that's another piece for us as well. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I'm I'm so grateful that we can have these conversations because I they're not they need we need to have more of them. <laughs> we need to have more of them, and we need to be okay having them. And uh, you know, they're awkward conversations. They're conversations where everybody's worried about making a mistake and saying the wrong thing. And so then we don't have the conversation because we're all worried about saying it. So we can't we we can't let ourselves get to that. We, we have to say it's, we're going to have the conversation and sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing and we're going to apologize for it and we're going to self-correct and move on. But without the conversation, nothing changes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you. And thank you for, you know, taking the step to, to have this conversation um, and, and help get this information out to women and women of color and people of color. And, and just, uh, I, I'm very grateful. We have a really diverse audience and listeners. And so thank you for, for sharing your knowledge um, and also sharing your money and your, your expertise in, in with Fulmer and Co. I think it's, you know, it's what we do and it charges up every day. Yeah, it's amazing. The diversity of entrepreneurs and founders we deal with is, is a big part of what, uh, what uh, stimulates us. So what are you building with Fulmer and Co.? Um, you, you know, so we're both building a portfolio of businesses that we own, uh, that we will continue to grow and will continue to have impact. Uh, and we're also trying to create a community of uh, early stage companies and <clears throat> early stage investments that thrive. And uh, we, you know, we sort of have a mandate that not everything we do will do good, but we want everything we do to do no harm. So that's sort of the balance we're working on and trying to help entrepreneurs, uh, you know, find, find their groove. One of the companies I read up about is Goodly Foods. Uh, and I thought that was a really cool, cool. Um, I mean, it's on your website, so you're obviously really probably yeah. proud of it. Uh, you know, is that the, you want to tell us a little bit about Goodly Foods? And then, you know, is that kind of representative of the type of work that you want to be doing or the kind of and it came out of uh, conversations a few years ago when we sort of tried to shift our philanthropy a little bit to say, how do we apply both what we do around here, which is help businesses grow and, and help them you know, develop and thrive? Uh, and what do we believe are the drivers for community success? So one of the drivers we believe for community success is well-paying jobs, right? And good jobs where people can rely on an income and can support their family in the way that they'd like to. Uh, so we said, well, why don't we try that in the not-for-profit sector? So why don't we try and create an enterprise uh, where we you know, provide people who may not otherwise have access to employment? So Goodly employs people with multiple barriers to traditional employment. So that can be everything from previous incarceration to addiction to single parenthood, uh, barriers to traditional employment. Uh, you know, we pay a living wage, so a living wage in the city of Vancouver. Uh, and how can we make that into a business? So not just, uh, you know, providing employment for no purpose, but let's make a product or service that people will actually buy and that this could ultimately self-sustain. So Goodly uh, makes soups, uh, makes soups out of repurposed produce. So produce that would otherwise hit the landfill. So think, you know, tomatoes that are too red, not red enough, not round enough, not shiny enough, et cetera. Uh, and we make soups. Uh, they're available at uh, Walmart uh, across BC. They're available on Whole Foods. 
Uh, bless their hearts. They're available in Fraser Health, UBC, SFU. I'm going to miss a few retailers, Spud Online as well. Um, but uh, yeah, and we employ people with barriers to employment, uh, a great team of folks who uh, work hard and show up and uh, have now got uh, full-time gainful employment. So we're blessed, hoping to grow it and make it a national enterprise. We're sort of Vancouver-based, Western Canadian-centric now, but we'd love to take this across Canada. Uh, it, it's purely not for, you know, not for profit. In fact, we plowed a lot of money into it uh, with zero expectation of anything in return. It's, it's our community project and we wanted to try and apply our, the, the things that we think we're good at, uh, you know, the, the love list and the rock list um, and, and try and build something. So that's, that's the goodly story. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could do a whole other episode on that. Just so beautiful. Um, yeah. It just spoke, spoke to me in so many ways, you know, like breaking down the barriers for employment, living wages um, and like the sustainability aspect too of, I mean, our food industry is uh, the amount of waste is uh, unbelievable. I've, the, going down that, I've gone down that rabbit hole of research one in the past. Um, so I love that you're taking the, the knowledge that you have, your love rock list and using that to do good. And I really get that feeling from you with everything. I mean, everything you've shared here today, everything you're doing with, with Fulmer and Kyle, um, you're clearly walk, walking the talk of your values and having a legacy, creating a legacy that is just so far beyond, um, beyond just you. Sure. Uh, we feel blessed to do what we do. Amazing. Okay. I'm rapid firing you the last couple of questions here. <laughs> there are Golden Girls podcast questions. Uh, what is a goal that you're working on right now? Uh, so the, the big goal is I want to create a dialogue series uh, in British Columbia. So I don't think there are enough conversations that are like nonpartisan conversations about big topics. So I want to create a lecture series or a discussion series or a forum that allows people to have the big, important discussions, but from a nonpartisan perspective. Oh my gosh. Tell me when that is. I will be there in the front row. <laughs> I don't know how to do it yet, but uh, it, it's, it's our big project for this year. Oh my gosh. So cool. So cool. You know how we were, you know, we said uh, we're always taught, like, don't mix money and, and family and friends and that. And like, I always just think like saying we were taught not to talk about money and politics and look where we are in the world. Um, so I, I just, I love, I, I so agree with what you said. Like we need to be able to have discussion and dialogue. Um, yeah. So, so good. I, I'll be there. I'll, I'll, awesome. you sa- send me the link. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. The I'll bring my people. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll buy all, all the tickets. Yeah. It's great. Um, what's the best lesson that you've learned in the last year? Um, I had somebody tell me that you can't uh, cut your way to prosperity, right? And it was in the context of, you know, chopping expenses uh, doesn't get you, doesn't get the business to be prosperous. And I thought that's really interesting because, you know, one of the things we all do is try and cut, um, you know, to improve the bottom line, but you really improve the bottom line by growing. You don't improve the bottom line by cutting. So. Uh, that, that really sat well with me that you, you don't cut your way to prosperity. So good. We're gonna have to make that an Instagram quote. Uh, I'm curious, do you think that applies to personal life in any way for you or? So, yeah. yeah. I, the only caveat I put on that is I think sometimes we all do need to remove some things from our life to make our life thrive. What are some of the best things you've removed from your life to help you thrive? Uh, like I, I have a, a real tendency to overcommit myself and say yes to everything. And then suddenly I'm doing a lot of things poorly rather than a few things well. 
Uh, I know that about myself now, so I've got way better at saying no. Mm. Hard and all as it is for me. I'm glad it's not just me that finds it hard to say no. <laughs> uh, okay, one of the missions that I have, you know, in, uh, funny enough, in the spirit of dialogue, I want to normalize this idea that like sometimes we're wrong, that that we're actually we're wrong, wrong a lot, uh, or that it's okay to change our mind. That it's okay to learn more, to make mistakes, and just just try. So I'm curious, what is something that you maybe held really strong beliefs in, or thought was one way that you changed your mind about? That's funny because it's actually an interview question I use all the time, which is uh, <gasps> tell me a belief that you held adamantly that you now no longer hold and you're actually a little bit embarrassed that you held. Oh, um, I love it. Great. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, in the spirit of real, being really candid, uh, you know, I used to hold a view and this is going back quite a bit of time. I held a view about the Indigenous community in Canada that I'm now embarrassed that I held that view. Mm. I, I can resonate with that. Thank you for sharing that. It's so important for us to be open and to, to continue to learn. And uh, yeah. we're only going to do that if we can admit where we're wrong. Totally. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, poutine. I know we were talking about health, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> poutine is one of my favorite things. And I mean, A&W has it. So uh, are you a cheese? I mean, I don't know if you eat poutine, but if you did, is are you going to pick the shredded cheese or the cheese curds? No, no alternative. It's cheese curds all the way. Shredded cheese. What's that? I know it is. It is uh, abhorrent. It's not. Yeah. No. It's it's got to be the curds. Go I agree. True blue. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I do always value that about A W that they're true to the curds. I appreciate so that. Good. <laughs> so good. Uh, okay. If you had a magic wand, what would you use the magic for? Um. So if I was being selfish, I'd use it to make sure that my kids uh, had happy, healthy, successful lives. Uh, and if I was using it for a bigger purpose, I'd say that it, it was so that everybody had a quality of opportunity, not, not a quality of outcome, but a quality of opportunity. Yeah. I, yeah. And I want everybody to have the same okay. starting line. Yeah. So amazing. Uh, okay. If you could travel anywhere right now, where would you go and what would you eat? Is, we're traveling for food. This is food tourism. Specifically. Food tourism. <laughs> um, so I've never been to India. And if you made me pick a cuisine that that was all I could eat for the rest of my life, three meals a day forever, it would be Indian. So that would be the, that would be what I would do. Amazing. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, before we go, where can people find you? How do you, you know, it, let's say there's an entrepreneur out there that is obviously going to get all their ducks in a row, get ready, get their underwear drawer ready before they talk to you, do their research, do, do their, get their prepped. Um, you know, where can people find you? How can they get in touch? Yeah, our website's Fulmer and Co. So FulmerAndCo.com. Uh, all our contact information is there. My email comes directly to me. Uh, I think even my phone number's up there. So I, like, I, I'd encourage people to reach out. I, you know, and again, like, there's nobody that, you know, this is a small city in Vancouver, and you know, I think every city's a small city. Most people reply. Some people don't, but most people, if you have a sincere, thoughtful email, uh, most people respond. Like, don't hesitate, whether it's me or somebody else who you think adds way more value than me, and I'm happy with that. But don't hesitate to reach out to people. There's very little harm in sending an email. The worst that happens is you don't get an answer. That is the worst. Nobody sends you mean, miserable answers. The worst that happens is you don't get an answer. Best that happens is somebody responds. So it's low risk. So do it. Like, happy, I'm happy to get emails. So send away. So good. Okay. One last full circle moment here, Yuri. When I met you 15 years ago, I just was like, oh, I learned so much of this one weekend. And I asked you at the end of the weekend, I like 
got up the courage to say, Yuri, would you, would you continue to mentor me? And you were like, yeah, absolutely. Send me an email and you gave me your card. And then I just like full on just chickened out. And then it'd been like three days and I felt bad. And then it'd been, you know, three weeks. And I was like, well, now I, what does it look like now? And then three months. And then now 15 years later, I never sent you that email. And, uh, it's just been one of the, it's just so, um, I wish that I had had that same mindset as, as what you just said, that piece of advice, which is like, just send the email. The worst thing that happens is they're not going to reply back. They're going to forget who you are, or they're going to be busy or, but it's not, I wish I'd known that Yuri was not going to send me an email back being like, what did you do? It's been four days and you haven't emailed yet. Like, no, I'm not going to be your mentor anymore. And you're a terrible person and you'll never succeed in business. Like this is the, you know, the story that I had in my head. Um, so I just, that's such an interesting that that was the piece of advice you shared. Cause that was something that I did not do 15 years ago. And it's, it's still in my head. Huh, that's funny. Yeah. I, like, I think if, if things like Dragon's Den have done a disservice, cause I think they've done a lot of good stuff. It's to sort of give the people the impression that there's some kind of adversarial process here. And there's just not, right? Like if you think somebody could help you, reach out. Worst case, they don't. The, the worst outcome is they don't respond. And if they respond in a mean way, you didn't want them in your life anyway. So now you've learned something that you didn't know. But, uh, you know, never hesitate to reach out to people. And, you know, whether it's in your business journey, your career journey, your life journey, never hesitate to reach out to people who you think can be helpful. I think you've got to be thoughtful in the reach out. Uh, and personal, and that does take a little bit of time, but you know, why not? Worse, worse that happens is uh, deathly silence. Yeah. Oh, Yuri, thank you so much. I mean, it's been such a, an honor and pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for sharing all of your amazing knowledge on the business world, entrepreneurship, venture capitalism, um, private equity, investing, and, and most of all, just, just life. And uh, the way that you show up for life, the way you show up uh, for all of us, it's very inspiring. And um, I truly very thank good. you. Thanks for including me. I really appreciate it. Well, friend, this feels like a full circle moment for me. From a business simulation competition over 15 years ago in North Vancouver, to the council chambers in Fort McMurray, to two episodes of Golden Girls podcast, it truly continues to be an honor to cross paths with Yuri Fulmer. This also feels like a beautiful reminder of the ebbs and flows of life, of how non-linear it actually is, despite our best ideas or intentions or even goals, and how sometimes things don't make sense until you look at them all in reverse. As a type A person, and I know you, you may be there with me on that, that can be really hard. And moments like this really help remind me of the importance of flow and trust and listening to ourselves. And I hope it's a beautiful reminder for you too, my friend. I hope this is the reminder that you don't need to know all the answers or follow the prescribed or predetermined path. This reminder that you're in charge, that it is okay for you to chart your own path, to make changes and switch directions at any time. And that you really never know what's around the corner, but chances are it's going to be magic. A huge thank you to Yuri. He is a busy guy and he was incredibly generous and genuine with his time, his wisdom, and he was open to tackling the honesty of entrepreneurship and the real-life opportunities and responsibilities he has, and I would say that we all have, to continue to create equal access to opportunities. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. 
If you learned something, share that and tag me on social media. I love hearing from you. I miss hearing from you. And don't forget to keep this as your go-to episode when you're ready to fundraise and generate capital in your business. I hope these episodes have inspired you, made you think differently, and hopefully made you forget to eat, pee, and sleep as it did for me. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll see you on the next episode of Golden Girls Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls Podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls Podcast.